Welcome to the Aerospace Engineering Podcast. My name is Reiner Groh, Research Fellow of the Royal Academy of Engineering, and on this podcast I have conversations with aerospace pioneers about new technologies at the cutting edge of aerospace design and research. Special thanks go to my supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you enjoy the Aerospace Engineering Podcast and would like to support it, then head over to patreon.com forward slash aerospace. There are multiple levels of support, but pledging even a dollar an episode is highly appreciated. Thanks for your support. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Three, two, one, zero, all engine running. Liftoff, we have a liftoff, 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Houston, uh... Today I'm speaking to Paul Williams, who's the executive director of the British startup Black Arrow Space Technologies. Black Arrow is developing a seaborne launch capability based on their current expertise in developing composite propellant tanks for satellites. The launching of rockets from ships has a previous history in America, and as an island nation, the concept is clearly suited for a UK launch provider. In our conversation, Paul and I talk about the heritage of the Black Arrow name, the advantages of a seaborne launch approach, and the importance of audacious technical challenges in galvanizing and inspiring the next generation of engineering talent. In fact, Black Arrow is currently supporting and working with a number of ambassadors from the Women in Science and Engineering campaign. One of these ambassadors is Liv Scott-Golding, a third-year physics undergraduate student at the University of Bristol, who's also joining us on this episode. Liv has been involved with Black Arrow from the start, and with contagious enthusiasm, tells us about her passion for the space industry and her interaction with Black Arrow as a wise ambassador. So now with any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Paul Williams and Liv Scott-Golding. Paul, welcome to the podcast. Hey, you're more than welcome, Ryan. Thank you for inviting me. So I learned about you partly through your webpage, but partly also um, through the Interplanetary podcast and about all the really exciting things that you're doing in the, in the space industry. Um, so I'd just like to ask you, before we dive into, into Black Aerospace Technologies, what is your background in space? How did you get involved in the, uh, in the space sector? Um, I, always start, I always start these kind of discussions with um, uh, a typical start to a, to a memoir. Everybody, everybody remembers where they were when JFK was shot. Everybody remembers when, where they were when man landed on the moon. I haven't a clue where I was in either of those events. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I didn't really have any space knowledge or interest until 1985 when I started work at British Aerospace uh, in Stevenage on the uh, on the satellite side on satellite structures. Mm. So I've been in the business now for 35 years. <clears throat> Ten of those were with British Aerospace, and then I went out freelance and worked all over Europe on propulsion systems design and development. I got into production. I then got into uh, business development, project management, I've, uh, product assurance. I've done done uh, product assurance management. So over over a period of thirty five years, I've I've learned a great deal about the space business. And just to come back to what I said about not having any prior interest, I found that by being involved in the space business has um, has introduced to me uh, a, a desire to learn more and more about space history, mm-hmm. especially the UK space history, because it's so colourful and it's so um, 
there was so much expectation back in the back in the days that that suddenly disappeared and a lot of people on the street wouldn't even realize that the UK has a space industry let alone a space agency um, and in fact we've been active in the global space uh, sector since the 50s and I guess that that history is reflected in the name that you've chosen for your company so maybe tell tell the listeners a little bit about what was the Black Arrow so the the original Black Arrow was a uh, post-military attempt to build a satellite launcher from a nuclear deterrent that was that was uh, developed in this country that uh, turned into the Blue Streak um, um, uh, flight model. But because the nuclear deterrent technology moved on, Blue Streak was left without a, without a cause. So um, uh, the powers that be decided to see if we could turn to see if they could turn it into a, a satellite launcher. And Black Arrow was developed um, with a Blue Streak uh, first stage. Um, a lot of people will know the name Black Arrow, but uh, there is also a, a, a little bit of misconception here. It, Black Arrow never flew from the UK. Mm -hmm. um, it was tested on the high down test range in the Isle of Wight, uh, above Allen Bay, if you've uh, ever been down there, or if your uh, listeners have been down there. It was also tested uh, alongside Blue Streak up at Spade Adam in Northumberland, Northumbria. Um, uh, but it was largely, as I said, a, a post-military uh, program. Uh, even the Prospero spacecraft that was that was launched uh, October 28th, 1971, which was the last time uh, Britain launched um, anything, we, we became the sixth launch nation in the world by doing that. From uh, Australia, I from guess. Australia, from South Australia, from South Australia, yeah. Um, and the government cancelled the uh, the contract or the or the project um, a short period of time before the final launch. But the, so that was taken through with the with the teams who were on the ground already, and it was hugely successful. So it, it's a bit it's a bit of an irony that that Black Arrow holds such a uh, close place in in British te technological psyche because it only really su uh, succeeded once. Mm -hmm. um, and it put one satellite in orbit. It was our satellite as well, so um, and then disappeared. But Black Arrow has remained there. Uh, there is a mock-up at Sandown Airport of the of the Black Arrow, the original Black Arrow um, launcher, and there is the R four flight spare uh, hanging off the roof in in the Science Museum. Yeah, in London. Yeah, in London. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a uh, it's a cornerstone really of uh, of UK. Um, 50s, 60s, 70s um, desire to to lead the world in space, and the UK did lead the world in space research at the time. We did a lot of um, <coughs> experiments in space, so the the um, characterization of the atmosphere and things mm -hmm. like this was all done using British uh, technology and uh, and British teams. Okay, great. I mean, so the UK is the only nation in the world that has developed a space flying capability and then lost that, um, at least to my knowledge. Um, is, does that mean, is that kind of a motivation for you to, to, to get back to where the UK kind of left off in the 1970s? Um, the first bit first, I'm, I'm not sure that's right. It depends how you, how you judge that. I mean, the French no longer have a, have a national okay. launch policy. Sure. They're all in the Ariane. Uh, collective now, but uh, the the French, I think, were the 
fourth launch nation. They were they were launching their own um, launches and, and satellites before us. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it is in the European collective, the Ariane collective. Sure. So you know, as I say, it's all down to down to perception. Mm -hmm. We can argue that until the until uh, the sun comes up. Um, the motivation, really, uh, I think everybody in the UK space sector has really hankered for uh, a return to leadership. You know, we've been in the industry for, for a long, long time. Um, we've assisted the Americans, we've assisted the Russians, we've probably assisted the Chinese doing what they do as well, but I can't say any more about that. <laughs> um, and I think it's time that uh, UK innovation and UK... Um, the UK approach. We, we have a very quintessential approach in the UK. We always do things um, for a cut price. We always do things that are slightly unusual. We are an eccentric nation, you know, when, when you look at a lot of the things we do. But to be honest, the last thing that the UK did, the uh, external-facing project that the UK did that we could really shout about was Concord. Mm -hmm. And that is itself 50 years old right so i think it's time that the uk now stepped up and uh, and showed our our pro prowess composites were um developed here they were isolated here they were um you know the university of manchester has patented composites and these are global now mm -hmm. and we have very little recognition of that um and i think it's it's time that we uh, we stepped up as i said and uh, and used this innovation and know-how to something that the world can look at and um, and we can be proud of again. Yeah, and I guess that's what you're trying to do with uh, with your company. Tell me a little bit about what Black Arrow Space Technologies does. What 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 is it that you do as a as a company? What have you tried to focus on in your kind of unique vision of launching small satellites in the near term future? Wow. So you need to get back away from satellites and go back to the space sector again. Okay. <clears throat> It's really a balanced uh, approach to uh, likelihood of investment, um, likelihood of being taken seriously, uh, and of sustainability, being a sustainable business. Investment is the key, and we've tried really hard to get uh, local investment, uh, uh, but it's it's quite a heavy capex um, uh, um, program. Mm -hmm. a, a lot of the expensive stuff is done at the front so we so we can't you know five pounds isn't enough um we tried a public uh, crowd share uh, a crowd fund with uh, with an engine that we wanted to develop mm -hmm. um which didn't go very well from a from a financial perspective but it did put the name out there and it got followers and it got uh, the the the, uh, the name of black arrow back into the um the, the, the psyche, you mm -hmm. know, the, the, the public. The public perception, yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Where it hadn't really been before. So that helped us get uh, get a few followers to start off with. So the approach was to come up with a strategy where we could identify investment and investors who were interested in coming in at a fairly low level. And to do that, we introduced a sister company, AstroTanks, um, that was designed to... <clears throat> enter the market, enter the space market, and service the space market. And we do have some big satellite manufacturers here, um, and they are, none of them have these kind of structures available to them from a UK supply chain. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to reintroduce that, something useful to replicate what they already buy 
um, but put it in-house to give them a, a more of an attachment to the development and the designs. That, of course, leads into, if, you, if you're building tanks for satellites, why don't you build tanks for, for a launch vehicle? And it's uh, for the main stage. The, the major part of a main stage is a propellant tank. It's a flying Absolutely. propellant tank. Is, so, yeah. you know, you, you've more or less built your first stage straight away. And we were lucky to get um, uh, the benefits of a UK Space Agency grant that uh, that we completed finally uh, last year, early last year, 2018, uh, with a couple of um, industrial partners who were really helpful. And that showed to us that we had an industrial team capable of doing this kind of tank in this kind of way, uh, which was really good, really helpful for us. And it opened the uh, exchange with the UK Space Agency. Um, from a launch perspective, the investment into such a program in the UK has been a disaster, not a disaster, it's, it's not been successful by mm -hmm. any means. Simply because commercial uh, launcher technology has not been proven in the broader investment field. You know, investors come along with, with money, but they say, what are my returns? What's the likelihood of success? You know, what's the um, um, return multiple? What are, all of these things. Of course, all they've got to go on is SpaceX and Blue Origin from the States, and they're not telling anybody what those what those figures are. So the investors are kind of sitting on their hands a little bit, uh, waiting to have some kind of proof that their money is well uh, received and, and used well. Yeah, that they're going to get a return on their investment, I guess. <clears throat> right, and there is no evidence. So the ideal solution for us, I think, is to have... Um, a number of very high net worth benefactors uh, who are prepared to put a fair old whack of money into something that they are interested in, they want to see happen, or even they they have a, a, a visibility of the manufacturing sector and they know it can happen. You mm -hmm. know, so that's what we're looking for, and we we've really not uh, done very well in finding those people in the UK or Europe. It's it, it's a um, it's a perfect storm really because the global economy is going down. The we've got Brexit as as well, um, so investors are less likely to to start throwing a lot of money about. So we have to find uh, a way, and we have had to find a way to move the company forward, to make it as visible as possible, to introduce it to a market that. Honestly, hasn't been engaged in the past in a, in as in as uh, friendly a way as possible, while spending very little money in doing it, uh, or keeping within our resources. So, yeah. uh, so we've been very lucky. You know, we've got a graphic designer uh, in North Wales, Animated Technologies. If I can do a, a plug for them, sure, they've absolutely. done a brilliant job up there. Um, the um, marketing uh, manager down in uh, down in Chelsea, Bill Leach. He's he's been fantastic with all the social media work. And uh, just by, you know, sweat and tears, we've we've managed to drag Black Arrow into the the um, uh, national awareness mm -hmm. or international awareness we've seen from our latest uh, exhibition um, on a shoestring. Yeah, and I think the on a shoestring thing is the colloquially colloquially British way of doing things. You know, we we don't spend a lot of money on stuff. We uh, we try and do cost-effective, reliable, 
um, um, and responsive. You know, that's that's what we try to do. Um, and up to now, I think we've uh, we've done pretty well. Yeah, I guess it is a very high risk uh, industry to try to get a foothold. Um, and that probably makes it harder to, to, to get the money that you would want and need to be able to start the company. But you also have quite a, a number of kind of key industry figures, part of Black Arrow, especially on, on, on the composite side. Mm. So do you mind talking briefly about some of the other members of your team? Because mm. I think they've got a great breadth and actually mm. also depth of experience in the, uh, in the composites design and manufacturing industry. I have a fantastic team. I, I couldn't wish for a, for a better uh, support team. So uh, the the uh, chief technical officer is uh, Gary Savage, who's uh, well known throughout Formula One world. He's been very successful uh, Formula One CTO for Mercedes and others. Um, he has a history of uh, of working in composites for NASA um, and other uh, um, military programs. He is an ex-marine anyway, so and he comes from the Lake District. Mm. If that means anything to anyone, <clears throat> um, but he's he's an expert in his field, and he's uh, an absolutely brilliant. He he adds so much credibility to our technical um, um, credentials that uh, I I couldn't imagine a better CTO. Mm -hmm. uh, the chief financial officer is Jonathan Lack, who uh, is pretty well known throughout the investment field. He's a he's a freelance now, runs his. Uh, Runs his own small business, but uh, he himself is a is a BSc in, in uh, composite from Durham. Mm -hmm. So we we have a financial guy who also understands composites. We have a chairman, uh, Glenn, uh, Grant, what's his name, <laughs> Glenn Clark, mm -hmm. from uh, who who spent twenty three years at Marshall Aerospace as COO. So uh, he's a very very useful guy to have on the corporate side. Um, and we have Andy Ward, who's an industrial officer from, or our industrial officer from uh, Gatwick Engineering in, in Brighton, Gatwick okay, Technologies great. in Brighton. Great. So uh, across the board, from um, from management all the way through finance down to industry, we are, as I say, I, I couldn't imagine a better team to have. And behind those five or six, we have uh, a raft of others who are um, all the design team or, or a, a large part of the design team will come from Formula One. Uh, the, the Formula One field, so so they're used to working in composites. They're used to doing things quickly. They're used to coming up with innovative, rapid solutions. So, uh, what I like to say is that we're the Black Arrow really is taking a uh, a standard pit lane that you find at a Formula One Grand Prix and turning it up on its tail mm -hmm. and, and launching it. It's, yeah. it's that kind of um, cutting edge use of uh, of composites and of um, um, corporate approach that uh, will will help us succeed. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, so you've talked about composites and, and astro tanks and how it makes absolute sense to me what you said in terms of trying to scale your ambitions in, in building uh, satellite propellant tanks into then a launch vehicle. But the other really interesting thing about Black Arrow is that you have this slightly different concept in terms of actually launching the, the rocket that you not based you're not trying to do a, a land-based approach but a but a seaborne launch capability now when the first time I heard about this I had to be honest never heard about sea-based uh, launching so um, but as I as I know now there is actually quite a lot of history 
to the idea. So can you talk a little bit about what has been done in that space and why you have then decided to go down that route rather than the, the, the traditional land-based launching approach? We're an island nation. We're an island nation in a quite a high uh, latitude, so our weather is, is pretty awful. Mm. Um, we're surrounded by water as, a, as an island nation, so why wouldn't you use it? We're good at shipping. We have some excellent naval architects here. And from a geographical perspective, the UK may be a really good place to launch from, but meteorologically, it's probably the worst. You can never tell where the weather's going to be, how, how the weather's going to react. So having a ship um, allows us to find the weather in some cases. You know, if, if the weather's nicer down in the South Atlantic, we can launch from there. or It gives us a, a huge um, uh, advantage from a flexibility perspective. But Black Arrow is not about using old technologies. You know, uh, a lot of our challenges are using old propulsion techniques, uh, old manufacturing techniques, just simply to get a rocket off the ground. They're not thinking about long-term mm -hmm. sustainability, and we are. We have a mission to be the most environmentally friendly launch operator. We have um, not 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 green uh, propellant combination, but it's the cleanest you can imagine for the uh, for the amount of energy imparted. Um, by having a ship, of course, we don't dig up uh, land to uh, to create a spaceport uh, where it doesn't need to be. Um, and it means, ultimately, that we can export the service, never the rocket, but the service, around the world. And, and that's in exactly what we intend to do. And by having that outreach, it allows us to influence so many other areas of education, global education to, uh, to kids and, uh, and students from different parts of the world. We allow skills to be created in areas where... Uh, in, in, in countries that want a space industry, like Nigeria, for example, they, they have uh, a space agency, they have a space capability, but they can't launch anything mm -hmm. uh, from Nigeria. But we can turn up uh, in Nigerian waters and launch out of the Atlantic. So it, 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 it opens the door to an awful lot of other uh, peripheral spin-offs uh, to better the technological advancement of uh, humanity across the globe. Mm -hmm. And I guess in terms of the UK, just because of geography, uh, the UK can only really, if we launch a rocket, let's say from Scotland, the only orbits we could actually try to get to are probably sun synchronous or a polar orbit. Does that mean that by having this ship, uh, this yeah, ship capability that if you launched from somewhere closer to the equator, you could also be thinking of um, higher orbits, higher uh, lower Earth orbit, or even a, a mid-Earth orbit, for for example, for navigational satellites like the replacement of Galileo in the UK or, or, or something along those lines. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we are the only UK operator to be able to do that. Or we will be. Well, we have to scale up. Currently, our, our uh, development vehicle is a 500 kilo, uh, kilogram lift to a 200 kilometer polar uh, or, a, or 300 kilograms to a 600 kilometer SSO. Both of those can be um, inserted directly from a, uh, an Eastern Atlantic launch location, but it doesn't really make sense to have that size of launcher available around the world. It, it's just not big enough. Um, 
we'll do a market survey when the time is right, and then we'll scale up all of the technologies that we've put together um, and create a bigger ship, of course, and uh, have a bigger fleet for a bigger launch vehicle. It'll probably just be a five-ton lift or something, but there's something in, those, in, in that region. And by having that kind of capacity, then you bring yourself into line with, as you say, going down to Ascension and launching Equatorial. It could be Equatorial uh, LEO, high inclination LEO, all the orbits, um, including, as you say, the mid-Earth uh, for SatNav, and, uh, and we'll see where we go from that. And uh, the, the authorities know all about Black Arrow. They're aware of what we can do and what we will be doing. And hopefully that'll manifest itself in a, in a truly UK solution. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite curious about how this would actually happen in, in practice. So would you um, prepare the rocket on land, load it onto the ship and then go out to sea? Or what can you talk at all about what, how this uh, system would actually work in practice? Or is that currently still a kind of like in the design stages of how <coughs> this would actually happen? It, it, it is in the detailed design stage, but uh, uh, broadly speaking, there would be a processing facility at Dockside. So everything comes in tested from, a, you know, the propulsion bay would be built up and, and hot fire tested at a test facility in southwest Wales uh, and then delivered to the Dockside. The avionics bay would be to the, so it's, it's more like an assembly plant mm -hmm. next to the dock. There would also be the delivery of the client's payloads that would also be tested, uh, potentially loaded and encapsulated within the fairing composite. Uh, that would then be loaded entirely uh, and, and ready to fit into the ship. The rocket stages would be uh, integrated to most or part on land and tested those we have to get a reliable uh, launch solution so we can't leave everything to the last minute and hope it goes well we have to test as much as we can we have to inspect as much as we can but we have to look at the practicalities of putting a rocket on a ship if you try and put a, a long cylinder straight into a ship you may well come across some uh, some serious loading malfunctions but you know that bit we have to work out but ultimately, the ship is going to be big enough, we think, to have two launch vehicles ready to go okay. under the deck. Mm -hmm. And they'll be lifted up and uh, put on rails on the gantry, integrated horizontally, then rolled along to the, uh, to the launch table and uh, put vertical. And then all the autonomous uh, um, um, processes would, would, uh, would kick in. Mm -hmm. uh, that's the thinking at the moment. The yeah. Safety is of a big concern, of course. So the ship is going to be um, free of people when the autonomous uh, or automated countdown starts and all the fueling starts. And that will be the job of the support ship then to be the control centre and everything will be controlled then or monitored then from the control ship three kilometres away. And uh, off she goes. And, and then as soon as the rocket's left, the safety crews will be back in to uh, tidy up. Great. So, is is a ship? How does a ship actually deal with the thrust from the rocket? Is there kind of a control problem, or can a ship, just because it's been designed to deal with massive waves, does does a ship have no problem whatsoever dealing with the so thrust? We were, we were talking the about um, the history of Sea Launch, mm -hmm. and there was a company called Sea Launch mm -hmm. uh, operating off the west coast uh, out of Long Beach, and they had a semi-submersible oil rig. They had a much bigger launcher than we've got. Um, 
and they sailed out to the Pacific to an equatorial position and launched to geostationary orbit. So we're talking of uh, a bigger scale of launch or a bigger scale of ship, but they had, even 20 years ago, they had um, <clears throat> very uh, efficient, active stabilization systems on board. And with our propulsion on, on the ship, uh, all, all um, supported by liquefied natural gas, we can have an active stabilization um, system to keep the ship level during launch mm -hmm. and counteract the thrust as it's applied. There will be a slight lift, possibly when the, uh, when the rocket leaves. Excuse me. <coughs> but we don't see that as a big problem. This ship is a 40,000 ton dry bulk carrier, modified mm -hmm. dry bulk carrier. So it's, it's probably not even going to recognize that there's the thrust being placed at the front until the rocket's gone. Okay. So uh, <clears> before <throat> we started recording, you talked a bit about all of the interesting space conferences that mm. you've recently been to. So you went to the, the UK space conference in uh, Newport. You've just come back from Bremen. Can you talk <clears throat> a little bit more about what your experience has been at these conferences? You said before that you've had some really good resonance with the defense industry. What are some of your key takeaways from these conferences? So the first one, it, it, it's been a very uh, satisfying autumn. But it's satisfying from the point of view that the events became available at exactly the right time. So at the beginning of September, we were at the Defence and Security Equipment Show at Excel. <clears throat> now, the defence and security sectors is something that we've always considered as being a, a, a business target but never known how to get into that field. And they had the, the DSEI put a space hub together for the first time this year, which was very surreptitious. And it was a blast. It was, it was, we were incredibly well received. Everybody came along and, and was very respectful and they were taken, uh, blown away by our, our video that Animated Technologies did for us. Um, and, um, it, it, it was amazing. We, we had over 120 hits from different people. We connected with Lockheed Martin, with Airbus, with BA Systems, with uh, a lot of businesses that you wouldn't imagine would be bothered with a small startup commercial launch proposition. Mm -hmm. um, but they were absolutely brilliant. Um, and before I go any further, I'd just like to thank anybody who's listening to this podcast who was who engaged with us during those those events. It's, it, it's been an absolute um, eye opener for us that uh, that what we're doing is uh, is bang on the money. It's given us a lot of confidence. It's uh, obviously destroyed my throat, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's been very useful uh, useful to do. So, yeah, the uh, the DSCI show was was fantastic. We then took the same. Um, approach and the lessons learned from there down to Newport. Um, we um, then went on to the New Space Show in Monaco in October, which was kind of interesting. It, it got smaller by the day, <laughs> but uh, it it it, uh, it introduced us to people that we probably wouldn't have been introduced to at any other show. So it's it's been useful from that perspective. And then uh, just this week, we've been at the Space Tech Expo in Bremen, which is which has taken the whole Black Arrow uh, and AstroTank's um, proposition to a European audience, or it's a wider international audience. We had interest from Korea, we've had interest from Japan, 
We've spoken to a number of um, European satellite operators who are interested in what we're doing. They all see the uh, potential advantages of having this kind of operation, and uh, we look forward to engaging with them more. Great. One of, uh, if if I can just mention that um, uh, we've devised. So, Black Arrow is not only about technologies. It's it's very much about uh, introducing students and the future talent uh, in the UK to the opportunities in space. Not necessarily launching, but as I say, we we have a big satellite industry anyway. And that satellite industry is likely to grow if there's an indigenous launch capability uh, to act as a as a partner to to deploy the satellites. The, the better we can make that launch solution, the better the opportunities would be for small academic or, or small indus- industrial satellite um, companies. But that needs talent. And we have not been in the game for long enough to be able to draw on a big pool of talent. <clears throat> and this applies as much to the system <clears throat> manufacturers as it does to the supply chains. We, In order to meet the space agencies and the government's ambition of growing uh, to a 10% market share by 2030, we have to increase the supply chain by 10 to 20%. Mm-hmm. And that is not being done currently. We have to have a an attraction to make people invest in the small businesses to build these super fancy widgets or, or whatever we need. Um, so we understand that uh, uh, what we like to call STEM is a very important part of the Black Arrow mission. You know, we, we have to do this this uh, this stuff to make sure that we're flying in 10, 20, 30 years' time. <clears throat> One of the cornerstones of that is our WISE system, Women in Space Engineering. And uh, the idea is that we um, offer guest um, um, positions at our exhibitions uh, for superb women graduates. And you're lucky enough to have one of the, one of them with us. Yeah, I think at this point we need to introduce and welcome Liv to the podcast. Hello. One of the superb <laughs> young physicists at the University of Bristol. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Well, one of the things, um, well, thanks for the segue, Paul, uh, that was that was superb radio editing. Uh, one of the questions that arose for me was, how did you get excited about space? Why, why did you want to partner up with Paul to learn a bit more about what Black Arrow is doing? I mean, well, what isn't there to love about space for a start? We're all natural born uh, explorers and we have curious minds and it doesn't necessarily mean exploring space itself I mean that's the end goal but it's the exploring the new technologies and the research that's around that and from that has come you know you know technologies that have saved lives and changed lives you know GPS and accurate weather systems and things like that so I think that natural curiosity has always been there but being able to have the mind that's allowed me to like follow that through um, has been really exciting and it was actually like a chance meeting with Paul about five or six years ago that I first met and it was in a coffee shop in my first ever job. It all happened over breakfast. It did, it did, it all (laughs) happened over breakfast and I remember thinking, Paul never told me exactly what he did but he always used to say um, that he used to travel around the world a lot and I remember my first thought was that you're a lorry driver (laughs) (laughs) and then it turned out that um, once we got talking about you know what I was interested in and what my A-levels were that you were in the space industry and then from then on 
I mean, we've just stayed in contact and you've mentored me throughout A-levels and then, you know, helping me decide what I wanted to do at uni and then, you know, throughout my university degree. Um, and then from then on, we've just, you know, I've been a WISE ambassador, which is a women in space engineering and exploration. Um, and I've had the fantastic opportunities to, you know, go to the conferences. I went to Newport with Paul uh, in September. And I, you know, I mean, I'm doing the podcast and, you know, things like writing articles for them and also just following their journey has been really, really interesting and really a real eye-opener into the industry itself. Yeah, I, I mean, the uh, I, I read the newsletter, the little piece, the article that you wrote yeah. for the Black Arrow newsletter. Available on the website. <laughs> I recommend everybody check out the newsletter, Black Arrow's newsletter. Could you tell us a little bit more about your experience at that event? Because the, the passion that you just showed in the previous uh, answer that you gave really came across in that article. So just tell our listeners a little bit about what you felt being at that at that event. It was absolutely incredible because I've always been surrounded, you know, by physicists and scientists and mathematicians, but to then be surrounded by people that were actually in industry and that were actually working on these new technologies and in these new areas was extremely exciting because it was something, you know, where you're seeing all your exams and all your tests put into practice and actually seeing the work that they do. So, I mean, it was a great opportunity to, you know, network and find out about what different companies do and to also have companies, you know, ask me what I'm interested in and then give me a little bit of guidance about, you know, what I'm good at and where I can go with with all of that. Um, and it was really great to also like I wouldn't say advertise, but work with Black Arrow mm. and just sort of talk about Black Arrow space technologies itself because it's a company that I think has got, it's incredible and it's got huge potential and the, in, the innovation behind it, I think, is something that everyone can get behind. Um, but also like the values of the company is something which is why I've been happy, you know, working for the past five years alongside you because otherwise I wouldn't, I wouldn't still be doing this. So it's just been, a, it's a fantastic opportunity. I met some you know, amazing people that I'm still in contact with, um, you know, that hopefully later on in life, uh, not only will I work with, but I can get, you know, some help from or just some ideas or some more mentors. So it's a fantastic opportunity for any for anyone hoping to get into the industry mm -hmm. itself. So you've just, I guess you're coming to the end of your undergraduate degree. So reflecting back on the, as, as you said, back to maybe your A-levels, what would you recommend to anyone young listening to to the podcast? How they get involved with uh, in, in the in the space sector, or even with uh, with with Wise? What would be your uh, recommendations of how to do that? I think just go for it. Even if you think you're not strong enough in the subject itself, I think you know just go for it. Nothing ever happened to anyone amazing that didn't just just reach out and try and grab the opportunity. So you know you don't necessarily have to be doing you know you know, straight maths, physics, chemistry, all of that. Like, even if you just wanted to stick, you know, in the maths route or just the physics route, there are so many opportunities and so many branches you can take with it. And it's, and you know, studying all the STEM subjects opens up so many doors, not just the typical, you know, traditional subjects. I mean, I mean, you're in like composites and, you know, or the material side of it, or you could go into the, the um, astronomy side of it, or you could go into the engineering side of it. Like there are so many different branches that you can go into. And I'd just say, honestly, if you are interested in, in it, just, just go for it because there's, you don't get this opportunity every day. Um, and it's just, and it's a really exciting area. And it also, you know, the skills you gain and you learn from it, you can put into practice anywhere. You know, not necessarily just in science. I mean, you know, there's people on my course going into finance and consulting and, you know, all sorts. And, you know, some even go into law. Like, there's so many different areas. It's just following that path. And then from then on, the doors will start to slowly open. 
themselves. Yeah, and I mean, for me as a, as an educator, being uh, employed by the university, it's absolutely amazing to see you so passionate about about STEM because that means that at least we're doing something right yeah. to uh, inspire the next generation of scientists, engineers, and mathematicians. Absolutely. I mean, the university at Bristol itself has been absolutely phenomenal in encouraging all of that. And as this is something, you know, from the physics degree alone. I mean, the, the national average of girl to boy ratio is usually 20, 80, but at the university, it's, it's roughly 50, 50. Mm -hmm. There are so many girls as there is boys, which is just fantastic because you don't feel, you know, slightly disheartened by the fact that you're just surrounded by males. Like, it's a really, really equal opportunity. Um, and I think that it's like that across all, all sort of STEM subjects. They're really, really interested in getting girls involved, involved more. Great. Well, I, re I recommend all our listeners go and check out the newsletter that is on Black Arrow's webpage. And I'd like to thank you both, Paul and Liv, for coming on the podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure. No, thank you Probably so thank much. You, no, I enjoyed that. Thanks very much. <laughs> if you would like to learn more about Black Arrow, then head over to aerospaceengineeringblog.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find show notes about everything we discussed in today's episode. And if you enjoy the Aerospace Engineering Podcast, then there are a number of ways you can support it. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're tuning in. You can share on social media with your friends and family, or you can support the podcast directly on Patreon. And with that, thank you very much for listening and talk to you next time.